Bible Training Center, and they're, they're here. We welcome you every Sunday, if I fail to mention. Yeah. And we've got Sean. Hey, we got Sean here. We welcome you, Sean. Well, it's, uh, I was thinking the song uh, about resting our soul. Uh, I know I've talked to some of you, as I do every week, and I know there are a lot of, bur- a lot of burdens here this morning. Uh, most of our burdens are first world burdens. <laughs> they are not the kind of heaviness that so many people bear. Uh, but as I tell you, put one foot in front of the other and do the next right thing. Just wait on God. Got up yesterday morning, little taste of that. It's no b- big deal. I tried to get out of the garage. Garage door went up about this far. Okay, I don't know what the heck is wrong, so I'll go out and grab that emergency bar. Bang! What on earth is going on? I reach down and try to lift it. It won't lift. I do that two or three times, shake the whole house. Well, then I discover, oh, gee, how am I going to get to work this morning? Because I work seven days a week, as you know. And uh, so I call a garage door company. Fortunately, they could send somebody out. And almost $800 later, I was able to get out, <laughs> get out of the garage. And then I had another first world problem. It had been going on for a little while. Clickers on our TV, we bought them both at the same time, same place, same day, same clickers. And the two clickers, they went out. I mean, Aussies won't get anything, and mine won't turn off. Turn off, you stupid thing. So I just leave it on and let it burn out. It hasn't burned out. Anyway, that kind of stuff. But there there are a lot worse problems around here than that. Well, let's go to John chapter 8 as we continue our exposition. I'm going to pick up with verse 47, which was the end of our passage last week. I'm not calling anybody. Nobody's calling me. I've got a reason for getting a cell phone out. I'll use it in a minute. All right, verse 47. I mean, this is a verse to red letter. This is a verse to underline. You may not want to underline, but I'm just telling you. Theologically, this is a very important verse. This is a spiritual law. This is a... This is an axiom. Jesus says in verse 47, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Jewish people, most of whom are hostile. They're very religious, very pious in their own Jewish way. Trouble is, they don't believe in Jesus. Jesus had said in verse 46, "Uh, why do you not believe in me? Then he gives an answer. Listen very carefully, folks. He who is of God hears the words of God. That's an axiom. That's a spiritual law. That applied to that day, this day, and every day. It's always true in any generation, any culture. He who is of God has an ear. They hear the words of God. That's the reason you people standing before me and wanting to kill me, that's the reason you do not hear the word of God. Because you're not of God. 
Well, the Jews, if you don't like the message, what do you do? Well, you kill the messenger. Ask me, 60 years downrange, I know. The Jews answered and they said to them, Do we not rightly say about you, guy, that you're a Samaritan? You couldn't say much worse to a Jew in that day. And you have a demon. Jesus answered and he said calmly, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, God the Father, and you are dishonoring me. That's serious. I do not seek my glory, but there is one who seeks, and he's taking notes. He judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. There's a message of grace. The Jews said to him, they're not pacified, whatever. We know that you have a demon, guy. Abraham died and the prophets also. And here you are saying, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never die. Abraham and the patriarchs and the prophets, they're all witness that they do die. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, our great patriarch, who died. The prophets died too. I'm going to put it in my words. Who the heck do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, well, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. We got a big contradiction here. And you have not come to know him, Jesus says then, but I honor him, I know him. If I said I didn't know him, I would be a liar just like you. But I do know him and I keep his word, Jesus said. Your father, Abraham, now this stuns him. Your father, that is, biological father, they descended from him. He rejoiced to see my day. And what is this man saying? He saw it and he was glad. The Jews, therefore, nonplussed, they said to him, Come on, guy. You're not even 50 years old yet. Of course, we're talking about 30. He's like LeBron, LeBron James. He's 37 and he looks 67. You know, Jesus looked older than he was. But they cut a little fat in there. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. You may not get that, but we'll get it for you. Therefore, they picked up stones that had it with him. They wanted to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, the cell phone, bear with me a minute. As most everybody who knows me, well, knows that when I touch things, Anything digital, electronic, they usually go south. One second. Yeah, here we go. Ooh, goody, 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 goody. It's coming up here. 
The other day, this week, I showed it to two or three of you. I won't tell you the provenance of it, but I'm going to read it. It's very germane to this passage. It's very germane to the contemporary evangelical church, whatever that is. Very germane to people sitting in our churches, in our schools and everything else. My sister-in-law started a podcast, exclamation mark. I won't give her name. She and her best friend have been working on this podcast for over this past year. And the first episode dropped today. Excited to hear what they have to say and how to lead a faith-driven life while getting to fully experience the world and all the fun it has to offer. Proud of you. Then right down here is a big headline. We are Christian party girls. Does that sound to you like anybody who is following Jesus? Yet they're in a church. If I tell you the church, you'd all know it. If I tell you the pastor, you'd all know it. It's what they cultivate in that church. There are no rules. There's no law. It's called what I told you last week, that spirit, antinomianism. And when it comes to grace, grace is indulgence. It's not biblical grace. Hey, you look at these things, go party, have all the fun in the world. Hey, world, come over to us Christians. We're just like you. You'll like the life we have. You'll like the life we live. Well, Jesus is talking to likewise religious people, as I told you. They're Jews. But there's a great dissonance. They're religious. They go to church constantly. They go to synagogue constantly. They do not resonate with Jesus and his spirit. They do not resonate with no. None of that. That puts them off. So Jesus says, I remind you, we just read the text. <laughs> Jesus said, Houston, we have a problem here. You people do not believe in me. You do not trust in me. Why is that? He said, the answer is simple for any age, any culture, any generation. It's very fundamental. You're not of God. How do I know you're not of God? You do not listen to the word of God. You do not listen to my word. You do what you want to do. You go where you want to go. You think what you want to think. And if at any point, I'm paraphrasing in the loosest way, if at any point I contradict you, then I'm wrong. If at any point a messenger of God contradicts what you want to believe, you kill the messenger. 
Jesus says something's wrong with that picture. It's always wrong with that picture, folks. When people, whether they're out in the streets or whether they're ostensibly self-identifying Christians, if when they hear the word of God, uh uh-uh, I don't believe that. I don't want to do that. They hear something in church that sounds a little judgmental. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm mad. I'm out of here. There's a dead giveaway in most cases. I'll explain that phrase in most cases in just a minute. There's a dead giveaway that there's something wrong in the heart. And Jesus said what's wrong in the heart is fundamentally at root. They just don't know God, even though they're surrounding themselves with God things like the Jews were all the time. Really, we're not on the same page because we don't have the same origin. You just do not belong to God. I said, I gave a qualification. Now, here's something that happens, and I want to explain this before we move on. There are all of us who really know the Lord. We're far, far from perfect. We don't get it all right. We stumble much. We're still in the flesh. And sometimes we make a mess of things. But I wrote it down here. Let me get to it in just a minute. Um, I wrote it down. So I will say what I mean to say and not what I don't mean to say or be understood. A true Christian, we sin. And we are ashamed of our sin. And we will repent of it. But a false believer like these Jewish people were, they're casual about their sin, their behavior. And if you say anything to them about it, they resent it rather than repent. They're always trying to find some way to justify their sins rather than just put them away. They may take refuge from that conviction in some other church. Well, I'm going to go here. Or find them some teacher who tells them what their ears want to hear. But they will not stand still for the truth or some form of doctrine that minimizes sin or they may take refuge in some what I call compensative righteousness. Well, I'll give more to the church. (laughs) That'll cover that. No, it won't. These deeply religious people resented Jesus deeply because he kept challenging their religious credentials as real Jews. Real Jews, not in the biological sense, but in the spiritual sense. They steadfastly, for the most part, refused to believe in him and follow the word of God revealed through him. We'll skip a little bit here. Save you five minutes. I'm kidding. 
it says something very, very ominous about the spiritual status of any person, including professing Christians who carp, murmur, grumble against revealed truth. Now here, folks, I'm talking about the major chords that more or less define biblical Christianity from false religious systems. But when I as a pastor, after all these years, when I as a pastor run into this, it tells me something. Probably. Probably. And if they go, they go, and I do not run them down. In all probability, when people do that, there's that fundamental problem. They're just not of God. So as I said, when people take offense at the truth, they typically take offense at all those who tell it. I uh, have given an illustration in the past. It's where I get in trouble. I go off page. But it's a good reminder here. I was in, I believe, about the eighth grade. I was a believer. And we had an evangelist come to our church. And uh, his name was Pat Withrow. How could I forget him? He ran a mission, but he was one good preacher. And he was of God. And he was getting under my skin because of a problem that Jim had. It was a sin problem. You're never real comfortable under faithful preaching when you have a sin problem. And uh, I wasn't dealing with it. Okay, you're only eighth grade. Well, I was old enough to know better. So in the back of our church, there were some posts in the overflow area. And I positioned myself behind the post in the overflow area. No reflection on you. Some of you have good reason to be there. Some of you are in the back. But I notice sometimes people move to the back when they start getting under conviction. No, I really do. I noticed that. And uh, so I was going to the back as far as I could go without getting out of the church. I knew my parents would notice. <laughs> so... I got behind a post. That kept me from seeing Pat Withrow's eyes. They were the eyes of a prophet. <laughs> they went out like that. So the next night comes around, and I wasn't telling anybody anything. I wasn't going to go to church. I didn't want to go with that conviction. I didn't want to face that all evening. My dad said to me, Jimmy, we're about ready. Are you ready to go? Oh, I'm not going tonight, Dad. My parents never said to me, thou shalt go to church. It never, ever. We always went, but that never happened. He said, why is that? He said, this man is a really man of God. I, I don't like him. He said, what don't you like about him? I said, well, he irritates me. He just annoys me. Dad says he does me too, and I need that. <laughs> That was a response of a godly man. At that point, I was not a godly son. And, uh, but my dad exposed me. 
and I couldn't admit it. So I went to church that night. And between Pat Withrow and God and me, we got it right. And then the rest of those evangelistic services, I was fine. I was right out in the open. <laughs> you know, because we got it squared up on the inside. When you're right with God, you're right with his word. If it pinches, you're glad. You know it's the truth. Anyway, what people tend to do when they take offense at the truth, they take offense as I did at Pat Withrow. Well, Jesus goes on here and faces a fuselage of bad false charges. Verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, We've said you're a Samaritan. It's like saying you're a Russian or something like that. Besides, you have a demon. The charges could not have been worse. The Jews hated the Samaritans, but to call the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God, which they didn't believe for a minute, to call him a person possessed of a demon was blasphemy. Do you want to know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? A sin which is unforgivable. You want to know what it is? Right there it is. When you look the light of God straight in the eye, when it is clear as a noonday sun, that this is the Word of God. And you blaspheme the Holy Spirit in rejecting Him. It's like looking at the sun, looking light. There's a light up. It's real bright. It wouldn't do me a bit of good just to keep my eyes open and keep looking at that light, but it's not the sun. And you assign, attribute what is of God. You attribute it to the devil. You've got to be very careful about that. That's what they did. They attributed what he was saying and what he was doing to the devil. But I want you to notice in verse 49, it's very instructive. It's very instructive to me as a pastor. It should be very instructive to us all. Didn't I tell you? Guess who's calling? Infinity. I usually leave this in the office. Will you tell your husband... Greg, can you do something about this over there at Comcast? <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding you. I won't hold you responsible. <laughs> okay, I think I've got that off. There's something really instructive here. Sometimes when we're as Christians, when we're when we're up for battle, I mean in a good way. We want to defend the truth. And we're hearing a blaspheme. We're hearing all kinds of noxious stuff. And we want to stand up and defend it. But I want you to notice, Jesus says in verse 49, he doesn't say, no, no, don't you say that. I, gets all sweaty, I do not have a demon. Absolutely not. He doesn't say that. 
he says very calmly. There's a lesson here. Bear with me. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. That's what I'm doing. And you are dishonoring me. The father is honoring me. You're dishonoring me. I do not seek my glory. I do not have my own agenda in all this. There is one who's glorifying me. And he's taking notes and he judges. Wow. Well, what lesson is there there? Well, let me... Lesson number one. Do you see me sitting up here? I'm sitting up here for two reasons. One, because I'm a little older now and I have a blood pressure problem and it can spike up and spike down and then I hit the deck. That's happened twice or so. I figured it was a little better for me just to sit down. But there's another reason. Here it is. The truth never needs to be yelled or shouted. God's messengers never need to get all sweaty and shrill as if by my own or yours or anybody else's, our own amped up emotions, we were God's last hope for saving the truth and pushing it over the hump. We don't need to do that. Dump the breathless emotion. Truth is not heard by our much speaking, nor is it heard by our last, our loud yelling. I don't have to go on for two hours here and get all sweaty. The truth I have learned can stand on its own two feet. If it is the truth, it will always find its mark, for God will always cause transforming truth when it finds a ready heart and an open mind to come together. Otherwise, it's not going to. You can yell it, you can scream it, you can do whatever. It's not going to make a bit of difference. I can sit here in this seat and calmly tell you the truth. And it'll find its mark. God's word never returns to him void. If you've got ears to hear, a heart to obey, and intellect to receive it, it'll find its way home. Nor does Jesus allow himself to feel personally threatened. That's a temptation to all of us who minister God's word. How does the Lord avoid that pitfall? What am I talking about? Well, God called me, just as he called a lot of other people, to do this work. But the trouble is we're human. You're human. And we can get all threatened when things go wrong for us. And we get over-anxious, trying. We get defensive. Jesus said very calmly, he said, I'm not verse 50. I'm not seeking my glory. He doesn't say, now listen here, I'm not seeking my glory. Just shut up with that stuff. 
he wasn't the least bit defensive. He said, I'm seeking the Father's glory. The Father's seeking mine. You can take it. You can leave it. That's the truth. If I said anything else, I would be lying against the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. In short, he says, and we can say it in his behalf, I'm about my father's business and his mission alone. My mission is his glory, and his mission is mine. One of the things that I learned more and more, I mean, I'm going to quit learning one of these days because I'm going to die. But the more we are invested, any of us, we've got all kinds of you people who are invested in Christ's service. And so many of you people are doing it for Christ. You're not doing it in a church way, just doing it for the church. You're doing it because you want to serve Christ. You want to minister in his name. You want to do what you do for God's glory and the good of his kingdom. The more we allow ourselves to get too personally invested and to have our own agenda, you can do it sitting where I'm sitting. You can do it up here. Music often happens, you know, in the music field. And sometimes it's so obvious you almost cry. It's not about you. It's not about you, Jim. It's not about them or the people who sing up here or other people. It's not about that. This is about Christ. This is about the glory of God. But the more self-interest we get involved in the things that we do in behalf of God, the more invested we get in ourselves, the more we corrupt the work. But when we get ourselves out of it, now I'm flesh and you're flesh, and it's impossible for me to totally get self out of it. It wasn't impossible for Jesus. But here's what I've learned, because while that'll never happen, I'll never get self totally out of this thing. It'll never happen. I'm flesh. And you're flesh, and everybody you know is flesh. Charles Spurgeon was flesh. Billy Graham was flesh. But here's what happens. We'll find more courage in discharging our ministry and less caring what people are saying about us, especially if they're not saying what we'd like to hear. The less threatened we will feel personally when we and our message are rejected, the more staying power we will have and the easier it will be to live and teach above the critical noise. I'm not there yet. I'll never be there yet, nor will anybody else I know. You'll never be there yet. But you'll be bolder. You'll be more courageous as long as you know you're doing it for Christ, as long as you know it's the truth, you'll let the chips fall where they will. The less personally we're invested in the work, that is, with agendas, the less egocentric we are, the more reliable and pure our message will be, and the more filters there will be for self-serving stuff 
that pollutes and contaminates the streams of the truth. Now verse 51, we see amazing grace. In the face of such insults to his heavenly dignity, Jesus again reveals the mercy, the grace, and the long-suffering heart of God with his enemies. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall not see death forever. By keeps my word, I remind you, we've seen it before, it means adheres in faith to Jesus' teaching. It entails not just intellectual assent, but practical moral adherence to his ways. Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, if there's a real deal, in other words, well, they'll never die. That's his promise to you. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's telling you. He's not saying if you'll join Lake Bible Church or some other church. He's not saying if you'll recite this creed. He's not saying, well, if you'll grab hold of some system of doctrine and you just hold to it. Hold to that. It's the truth, nothing but the truth. Everything else is wrong. But if you just lay hold in faith of the word of Jesus and you're faithful in carrying it out, I've got a promise for you. Even to these people who are calling him demon infested, you'll never, you'll never die. You'll live forever. Live forever. That's our promise. I say to anyone here in this room, there are always some. Thrilled to have you. But I say to you, what have I got to do? What you've got to do is believe in Jesus. Well, what is that? Believe in Jesus, it means, and he said many, not just here, many times, keep his word. Lay hold of it. Wrap your arms around it. You'll never do it perfectly. But lay hold of it. And with all the grace God will give you, try to follow through. Follow him to the end, not till you hit a bump. They uh, said, what do you mean never die? Well, time's pressing on us. Let me go through this as quickly as I can. Look, Jack. Our father Abraham died. All the prophets died. Isaac and Jacob died. And you're giving us a promise that we'll never die if we keep your word. What do you mean never die? And Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing. That's exactly what I mean. We don't get it. You're not even 50 years old, man. And you're telling us Abraham rejoiced to see your day. Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm telling you. He said, well, I'll tell you, how do you figure that? He said, well, I'll tell you, I'll figure this. This is stunning. But let every man and woman hear this. Jesus said, are you listening? Abraham, 1,900 years before, had lived and died. 
Jesus said before Abraham ever was. Before he ever darkened the face of the earth. I am. Not I was. That would have been stunning enough. He says I am. Little friend. I'm a, I am in Greek is a simple little phrase. It occurs in code many times in John. We've mentioned this before. Ego me, I am. In Hebrew, it is Yahweh. Back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses said to the Lord when the Lord called him to go to Egypt, He said, when I get there, these people are going to say, who is this God you're talking about? What name shall I give them? I mean, I can say God, but that's a generic name for God. What's what's the memorial name? I mean, what's your personal name? And so he said to Moses, well, you tell them this, I am sent you. I am. I am that I am. That's it. Yahweh. In Greek, ego me. I am. What's he saying? You want to know who I am? I am that God. I'm the God you call Yahweh. Later like that a little bit. But that's who he is. When you read the Old Testament, you read Yahweh. You know who that is. That's our God. I am. He is I am. That's his name. Like my name is James. That's his name. They didn't get a word of it. They heard it. They didn't get it. They didn't believe it. And consequently, they died eternally. Most of them. So Jesus let them know who was speaking. You're not yet 50 years old. Doesn't matter. Do the math. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, they picked up rocks and they started to go after him. We've seen this before. There he was. Just like you are a big crowd here. There he was. They're picking up rocks. They're going to kill him. Why can't they kill him? They're going to shortly, but not now. Why? His hour had not come. So Jesus hid himself. It doesn't explain how. But they couldn't get at him. And what did I explain to you before when we saw this? You are God's people. Just as they couldn't get out of his son when it wasn't God's time, nobody's going to get you when it's not God's time. You're protected. I was talking to somebody here this morning. God's got his time. He's got his place. If he wants you to go here, he'll get you there. If he doesn't want you to go there, he'll keep you from getting there unless you're just walking in flat-out disobedience and he wants you to learn a harsh lesson. Everything's going to be in his timing and in his place. And so it was with Jesus. He was going to be crucified. That was God's plan. But not at that moment. That's what they wanted to do. Bury him under a pile of rocks. 
he was going to die on a Roman cross. That was God's prophesied plan. And that's the way it happened. So he will keep you. He will protect you. He will be with you. It won't happen until God says it's going to happen. Well, I say to any here who don't know him, as I wind this up, if you'll trust in him, you'll never die. If you don't trust in him, you're already on the death track. You're already condemned. It doesn't pleasure me to say that because God said it. He said it for your good. You're condemned already. You're just waiting for sentence to be passed. I say to you, one mark of you and I knowing God, belonging to him, is that we, we care about righteousness. We care about holiness. We care about leading a life that is pleasing to God. I say... None of us get that all right. But the Spirit of God lets us know. Bam! Hits our conscience. And we repent. If there's no repentance when there's sin, there's a serious problem. So let each take it according to your personal need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the Lord Jesus would be honored in this service, both in the, in the moment and in the aftermath. We pray that anybody here who doesn't know you, doesn't belong to you, will come to know you through the working of the Spirit of grace. We pray that your word will be taken seriously. We ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.